Welcome to this episode of Out of the Best Books, the podcast where we deep dive into classic literature and have conversations about what we've learned and discovered along the way. We love all things books and reading, and we want to share our love of the classics with you. We hope to inspire you to read along with us and join in the conversation. I'm Amity. And I'm Laura. Now let's get talking about the classics. So I feel like both chapter 10 and chapter 11, giving us a deeper dive into old Dan and little Anne's personalities. Did you kind of get that vibe? Like really sketching their character a little more because chapter 10, it talks all about old Dan and how extremely strong-willed he is. And he just goes for it, like without thinking all the time. And he ends up often getting in trouble. And there's one time he like basically is up in a tree and Billy pretty much he has to go and pull him down up in the hollow log. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then he gets, he gets him down and he just goes right back up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's just, he's impulsive, very impulsive. That's the word I was looking for. Exactly. Super strong, mm-hmm. an amazing hunter, very impulsive. And, and little, little Anne is smart. Yeah. And little and little. Yeah. And I don't know. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about chapter 10? I felt like, that one was, there wasn't even very much that I underlined in that one. The dogs follow. Yeah. I like that the dogs follow him to the store. Like he tries to like oh. trick them or get away without them. And they yeah. don't have it. They're like, we're coming with you. And then yeah. the coon hunters tease him at the store. What did they tease him about? But those dogs are so little. They couldn't oh, possibly that's... catch. They couldn't be good hunters. Yes. And then. This is the chapter where I think old Dan falls into the muskrat bin. Yes. Yeah. Cause probably cause he thinks like he does things before he thinks about it. So it gets himself into trouble where little Anne is like, thinks about everything she does. And like, yeah. she, isn't she way less quick to, um, ball treed. Yeah. That's what he would say. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, she, she wants to make certain first. Yeah. And Dan's like, ah, I got him. I got him. We're good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and then also that Dan won't hunt without Anne. I think that happens in this chapter too. Yes. They do discover that they, one will not go without the other. They're completely inseparable because that was the thing. He tried to take Dan without her and just to give her a rest, like she had hurt her foot. Yeah. And, or something. And, um, he wouldn't go without her. He just goes back home. (sighs) Yeah. It's like, well, you, you go have fun. Yeah, so that chapter, and then the 11 also is like, they're hunting yes. in the snow, little land falls in the river. Um, yeah, and that one was really powerful. I love how whenever, almost the first thing that he does, whenever he has any sort of a problem, is he prays. Again, he's just this young teenage boy, but that's his first, what am I going to do about this? I'm going to pray. And then he goes to work because again, he's he's so competent. There's so many things that he can just do and figure out. He's a super smart kid. But he always goes to God first. And then, you know, little Anne, she, he pretty much thinks that she's a goner, that she's going to fall into the frozen river and be gone. Like he almost leaves with Dan because he can't, he's like, I can't rescue her, but I can't stand to watch her go in there into the river and die. So they almost leave. And then it's like, he just gets this stroke of inspiration. I think he would call it revelation from God for how he can save her. And he just about 
kills himself in the process, just about freezes to death, trying to get her, but he's able to rescue her. Like every time too, he has this, like he has this experience with when the, when he's cutting down the tree and he goes home and he asks his parents, um, have you ever seen this happen where the wind will just like hit one tree? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you know, and like that happens maybe right after he prayed or whatever. And his parents are just like, well, there's got to be another explanation. Like that tree was so tall that that's why the wind just hit that one or whatever. But I just think it's funny that he's always trying to put together why this happened and mm-hmm. attribute it to God. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in this case, there was like the creaking of his lantern. Like it was like the handle fell down or something. And just that sound made him think of what he needed to do to save her. And then he goes home later and he says, I've never seen that handle ever fall again. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and then there's this part in that chapter where he says before i left for home i walked back to the sycamore tree once again i said a prayer but this time the words were different i didn't ask for a miracle in every way a young boy could i said thanks my second prayer wasn't said with just words all of my heart and soul was in it and i love that what an incredible example just he asked and then he took the time to be grateful yeah they don't ever talk about like the family's religion or anything, nothing like that. Just his like experience with prayer. And I think that was kind of interesting. Like, I I wonder if that was just him. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think that his parents are very faithful, especially later on, you know, we really get an insight to sort of their hearts and, and their thoughts uh, where God is concerned, but they're not very demonstrative earlier on. So, so yeah, I just, he's just such a kid, such a great kid. Okay. So, um, from 13, yes, this is where the Pritchard boys come in. Yeah. So Rainy and Ruben, they meet up and obviously Billy knows them, but I get the idea that he pretty much avoids them. You know, when there's not very many other kids around, they're pretty much the only kids around his age, but he chooses not to be friends with them for a reason, right? Yeah. And because they're jerks (laughs) and he says, they're always betting. They're always dirty. They're always breaking the rules. They walk into grandpa's store and they pretend to be buying tobacco for their dad. And then they just throw it in their own mouths, whatever. (laughs) And then they try to make a bet with Billy and it, it all centers around this ghost coon. And they say, nobody can catch. And grandpa takes the bet. He's like, grandpa's like, uh uh-uh. yeah. <laughs> and that's so funny. It, like his pride totally takes over there because he's letting these just punk kids really affect him. I, yeah. I don't think Billy's that into it. No, I don't think so at all. Like he does it for his grandpa, really. Yeah. And like, even in the middle of it, he's like, I'm just gonna take my dogs and go home. Yeah. This just isn't worth it. Or, you know, they, they bet him $2, right. That he can't go get the ghost coon and his dog. Well, Dan is, has trouble with other dogs. Yes. So he's like, you can't bring your dog, which is funny because he goes, they're around dogs in town when they, I think when they're like later when they're at the championship, but when they go to the, yeah, the big championship, that's true. Yeah. I don't, yeah. They're like, don't bring your dog. Or he said they won't hunt with other dogs, I think. Mm, Maybe yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, so they're out there trying to get this ghost coon. They're 
uh, Reuben and Rainey's dog gets loose, right? And comes running out and then there's a big fight. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the competitive side of me does have to add that they did tree the ghost coon. They did the thing that these kids say they that could never yes. be done. And so they did figure out, like it was pretty much little Anne's that her brains that figured out what this ghost coon was doing. And so they tree the ghost coon and that's when Billy's like, Hey, we're done. Like they did it. Let's go. And they don't really want to be done, but then their dog comes along and attacks Dan. And then little Anne gets in the mix. Right. And they can see that they're beating their dog, this blue tick hound. (laughs) Reuben and Rainy are like, they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him, you know? And so, um, and, and also when they, when he says, I treed the coon, Reuben and Rainy are like, oh no, you got to kill it. Yeah. And he says, and that's like, not what I said. Like, right. That was the whole deal. So he gives them the $2 mm-hmm. at that point. And then the dog comes out and they get in this fight and the, it's just Reuben that starts like running to get in the middle of it maybe stop well he says he's gonna kill billy's dog so he grabs billy's axe yes which must be really really sharp and he grabs it and he's going after uh, billy's dogs to kill them yeah and and he he falls on it yeah he falls on the axe and it buries inside him anyway yeah gruesome gruesome (laughs) yeah and he's like you know, and it, and it takes um, Billy a little while to like get everything under control before he even realizes what's happened. Yeah. And Rainy is standing there. I think he knows and he just can't move, can't do anything. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, he says to, to Billy, take it out of me. <laughs> like, this is just. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Uh, right. It really is. And especially when you consider just. Well, it would be horrible for anybody, but just these young kids. Out in the middle of the woods with like. Out in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So they deal. I mean, so he, I think he does take it out and then, then he kind of dies immediately. And so then he has to go find somebody to help him. And uh, do you remember where Ruben, no, Ruben's the one that died, where Rainy goes. Does he just stay there or does he leave? So I think, so I was just looking. I think he just, he runs off probably towards home Yeah. because, you know, Billy takes the ax out and then he's trying to figure out what to do. So he calls for Rainy. Rainy's not there. So he's just kind of, I don't know what the word is, frozen a little bit, Yeah. but I think it's interesting that he plugs in right here. He says a cold chill ran over my body. I suppose it is natural at a time like that for a boy to think of his mother. I thought of mine. I wanted to get home when he was so traumatized in the very darkest moment that he probably had in his life so far. He just wanted his mom. Yeah. (laughs) That's really sweet. But anyway. Yeah. So they go get, and I, yeah, I don't know why grandpa's the only one that can, they go get grandpa and some other people to come help them with the body and they take it back. And they, the family says they have their own cemeteries. Like we'll just bury him. We'll take care of it all. But, oh, and then he says to his mom, I need a gun because the ax is too dangerous to be carrying. She says, no, no gun. Not until you're 21. (laughs) No, that's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I, you know, I just, 
the end of that chapter where he goes to pay respects to to um Ruben it's just this to me shows what kind of character he has like this is a an amazing kid right that yeah um and nobody sees him do it like he's right. hiding he puts flowers yeah. on the grave he sees the mom he's hiding but the mom doesn't see him but she goes out to the grave because she hears something I think she goes yes. out there and then he sees her crying as she walks back to the house yeah. oh, it's just what a kid though like he probably I mean that had to make him feel better to go and yeah um, yeah well he said that he felt much better after paying his respects to Ruben everything looked brighter and I didn't have that funny feeling anymore and the, the funny feeling was probably like needing some closure like what an incredibly traumatic event for a young kid to watch a peer die in such an awful and painful way and to be involved at all like obviously no part of it was his fault but he was right there and it was his acts and the trauma of that would just be really severe but yeah he uh, talks later about like every time he sees the axe he's like I didn't really it bothered me every time you know he'd look at it and think of it yeah um a horrible experience I'm hoping that this experience is the fictional part I know right (laughs) yeah me too yeah um okay then the big here's it come it's coming up here like climax of the book right so yes grandpa enters billy into the coon championship without telling him (laughs) (laughs) yep let's see so he enters him in this huge coon hunt competition to me it sounds like it's something that happens every year and people come from all over the hills from all the surrounding states they you know it's just the best coon hounds from all around so it's a big deal they decide they can go and i love that they convince papa to go too because grandpa's like you should ask your dad to go you know and he's like well i guess (laughs) so but everybody's really supportive of it and mama is really supportive she's like the girls and i can take care of things and you guys go do this so i like i love that i wrote down that everybody in this family believes in these dogs i know they're like no they're the best hunting dogs right yeah and they're like of course you're gonna go and win another interesting thing i noticed was the foreshadowing in chapter one Mm. talking about the cups so like if you're paying attention you know that he's gonna win yeah competition right i oftentimes when i'm reading a book like i don't notice that in the beginning like i miss a lot in the beginning and then once you get to the end, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, there it was. Especially if you go back and yeah. read it again. I know. But, and I guess that really is, it's so hard because there's so many amazing books. So it's like, who has time to read one twice? <laughs> but if you're going to get everything that you can out of it, you almost have to. Yeah. Well, sometimes I'll just go times. back and read the beginning again. Like, sure. Oh, that's a, just yeah, think, that's a good Oh, idea. yeah. There was stuff I missed in here that, you know, and because I feel like in the beginning of a book, you're like trying to get your grounding yeah. Like trying to figure stuff out. You miss. Yeah. That's I thought really that was true. interesting. Um, okay. And this is the part where they're getting ready to leave. Oh, well, he first, he figures out that his mom is expecting. Yes. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you love that. Like nobody mentioned it. <laughs> oh, no. He's like, I just noticed that her, her belly is getting bigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. So did she never have morning sickness or what? Like she just could fully function and yeah. never mentioned these things because. Yeah. And he makes sure. That's cool. 
he makes sure that everything like she has everything she needs before they leave like he makes sure she has enough wood and you know papa yes. and, and him take care of them but yeah as they're leaving i just love the exchange between the grandma and grandpa she says to him i knew you'd forget something <laughs> well first he has billy hide the jug which is probably yes. alcohol right yeah and he says to him did you hide the jug good <laughs> And then grandma comes out and she's like, I, she hands him a scarf and says, I knew you'd forget something. And then he says, nanny, we've got everything. You must think I'm a baby and don't know how to pack a grub box. This just reminds me kind of of my parents, right? <laughs> a baby grandma snorted. Why you're worse than a baby. At least they have a little sense. You don't have any at all. An old codger like you out chasing a coon all over the hills. This must just come after like years and years and years, years of marriage, right? Absolutely. Like <laughs> that's the thing. You know that her patience has been tried. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. She just says, I mean, he just gets up like it doesn't bother him. He just gets up in the buggy and they leave. But I thought it was interesting. That's the only time that grandma's mentioned. Yes. Such a personality that that's all we need to kind of <laughs> get an idea because she also gives Billy a kiss and there's obviously affection there and she's a nice grandma, but you know, she's got to yeah. keep her hubby in line. And the thing is too, like, as we go throughout the story, it's like grandpa is this amazing, wonderful grandfather, wonderful man, and has a heart for boys. And he probably is one of those people you could really say is a little boy at heart. And so that can probably get him into a little bit of trouble with his wife every now and again. So yeah, maybe they're, maybe Billy and him are alike kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That's really probably true. And, and she's yeah. somebody who's gotten exasperated over years. <laughs> it totally is like, it just, I guess the typical relationship between older people. I don't know. Yeah. It's funny. So cute. I wanted to back up just one little thing to bring up because earlier in the chapter, right before it talks about him, you know, making sure everything's good with, for his mom, um, <clears throat> there's this line. So his littlest sister asks about the dogs winning the cup. And as you mentioned, they're pretty confident that the dogs are going to win. And so his little sister is like, well, will you give me the cup? And um, she says, can I have the gold cup? And he says, I smiled as I looked into a clear blue eyes and I said, honey, if I win it, I'll give it to no one but you. And that was just so sweet. Because first of all, how many brothers call their little sister honey? And maybe it's just the author, but it, this is something that actually reminded me of my grandpa. Because one of my grandpas, he was just the sweetest, kindest person. One of the stories that had been passed down is that that's exactly how he would refer to his sisters. He would call them honey. And I just think that's like the sweetest thing. Like even as a teenage boy, he, he would say honey to his little sisters. And um, anyway, he was just this incredibly brilliant and masculine and, and, you know, man's man, but also just so gentle and kind and called everybody honey and sweetie. So <laughs> that's like that um, my, my son had a companion that came to visit. And he's from South Carolina and he was like calling me ma'am and, and <laughs> everybody, it. sir. And I was just like, whoa, like, <laughs> I'm not used to this. Yeah. How do we, how do we train that? I think my mom <laughs> said, oh, he called my dad, sir. And my mom said, you don't need to call him, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. It was funny just because we had like, 
we don't experience that out here in the no. Northwest. No. Like very sweet. And they told me that his his father makes him call his mom ma'am. Mm. And they thought that was interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. So yeah, they get they they're off. Yeah. And the first part of it, they get there, they get settled, and they have a beauty contest for all the hounds, which I think is really funny. But I guess that's kind of a normal thing with with animals in general, right? Like take them to the fair and enter them into basically beauty competitions. And so they do that and little and wins. So that's where the small cup comes from. She wins a small cup. And then they lay out the competition rules. Basically it takes place, it takes place over the course of like five nights. So they only have so many groups go each night with their dogs. And, um, so the first night they sort of set the standard, like however many coons they get, you know, the, the person who gets the most coons, they stay and they're going to move on to the next stage. Everybody else goes home. The next night they have to try to match that number of coons or else they'll have to go home. And Billy and grandpa and Papa, their dogs and the judge who's going to go with them, they get the fourth night. Yes. Um, they get the fourth night. And they know they have to get three coons, right? Yes. They talk about that night, but not a ton. It's just, we know that they get, they get the three coons. So they're able to move on to the championship round. In the championship round, there's not that many sets of dogs and hunters. It seems like, I think there's like three, but the night is horrible. Just really stormy and snowy and just kind of the worst situation because they can't hear each other. They can't hear the dogs. They can't see anything. But Billy's determined to just keep going because he wants he wants to win this more than anything. And he he feels like if he gives up, he lets his dogs down. And like I mean, they call it a blizzard spat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of things happen, right? Grandpa falls and brains his ankle, which they don't know. It's just sprained. They think it could be broken. And yeah. he like well, they think he's dead. <laughs> yeah, but... well, he passes out, yeah. right? Face he's down. just laying on the ground face down. Face down, yeah. Um, and again, Billy goes to him and he like kneels down and he says a prayer right there. He's <laughs> like, please don't let my grandpa be dead. And it's, it's just his ankle is twisted, but yeah. So he, yeah, he, that last night is incredible. Like they get three coons at once in one tree. Yes. They end up and they end up getting all three of them. Correct. They do. Yeah. And they had thought they lost the dogs. They tracked them down again. And then the dogs go off again. Then like everybody from the camp shows up because they'd all been searching for for Billy and his group for like hours because everybody else had given up and come back I believe so they come back and find him and this one guy runs up he's like there's two dogs they're completely frozen over there and so Billy he just breaks down because he thinks yeah. that his dogs he's like once they tree a coon they will not move until I get there so he's like they very well could be completely frozen so this guy comes along and says they're frozen. What all he means is that they're covered in snow. They're totally alive, but it gives Billy nearly a heart attack. Anyway, they make it back. Yeah. Um, I think they say like, that wasn't very, a very nice way to say that. Cause he yeah. Panics. Everybody gets after him. Yeah. <laughs> he gets after him. He's determined. And one thing that I, I wrote down that he said that I really loved, he said, I've been out in storms like this before all by myself. So he's like, I'm not going in just because of the storm. And I've never left my dogs in the woods and I'm not going to now, even if I have to look for them myself. So again, there's that element of just the most perfect trust. Like no matter what, he's 
always going to do what he says he's going to do with his dogs. They know they can trust him and he knows he can trust them. They always know what each other are going to do. Yeah. Okay. We're getting to the, um, the worst part. Yes. (laughs) The part where if you hate this book, this is why. (laughs) I know. And as I read it and then reread it, I'm like sobbing every time. And I'm like, I don't know how I can even talk about this. So we'll just skip to that. Okay. That's it. The dogs die. (laughs) Um, I, so like the first time I was reading this, um, this time, right. So like a week ago I was working and I was kind of like reading the print version and listening to it back and forth. And I was like, I had like 40 minutes left of the book. And Mm -hmm. I was, I work in dental offices and I was like, I can't, I can't take this in and finish like sobbing right in the middle of the dental office. Yeah. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to have to wait for this for later. (laughs) And so I think I, I listened to it on the way home and I just sobbed. Oh yeah. It's funny because like we have a dog that's getting older and like when you get a dog, you don't think about them dying. Yeah. You just think they're going to be with you forever. And then like a few years down the road, you're like, "Uh Oh, (laughs) I've told my husband, we're not getting another dog because I'm not going to, I can't handle this. I can't handle losing them. Yeah. So yeah. And I don't want another one. (laughs) There's that part too. But after a time, they're like this constant in your life and they're for a lot of people they're kind of a member of the family and so for them to pass it's just it's devastating yeah so but it's something that you know is going to happen a lot sooner than most things so um, I know but when you're getting that dog you don't think about it right exactly and and I think that he you know our dog just lays around but these dogs are out like fighting coons right they have I don't know I guess it's just such a much dangerous life for them like yes the chances that they could die early and who knows even knows how old they are yeah we don't really get that that's something that I I wondered and we really don't get that so we don't know how old Billy is at the end of this and we don't know how they are but no matter what like he's still a teenager and so there's no way that they're more than like three or four yeah I mean I'm saying like five at the well not even that because I mean if he was like 13 he'd be like I bet you they're not very old they've got to be yeah I don't think they are yeah so I don't know it's just so heartbreaking yeah so we should give some background though so um Billy and his dogs they're on a hunt and they encounter a mountain lion and I don't know that it's the same one they encountered before but they call I I'm pretty sure they call it the demon of the Ozarks. And it's amazing that in all this time of hunting that they really hadn't encountered a mountain lion before. Um, but this one is out for blood and it attacks old Dan, little Ann. They just fight relentlessly. Like they, they go for the jugular, you know, they um, latch on and they don't let go. And then there's a point where Billy is trying to save his dog. So he, He's like hacking at the mountain lion with his ax. And so the, the mountain lion turns on him and it leaps at him. And Billy thinks that he's gone. Like he's like, okay, we're done here. But then all of a sudden, I wish I had the exact quote right in front of me, but all of a sudden he sees these, his two dogs as one leap in front of him and take down the lion and they save his life. As a result, you know, Dan, his wounds are so awful that literally his entrails fall out. Uh, Billy is able to get him home and get little Anne home. 
old man passes away on the table. They try. Um, I mean, like his, I think yeah. his mom tries to like stitch him up. Yeah. They try so. so hard. And that's another thing. That was another thing that I was like, his parents are amazing because instead of being like, oh, there's nothing we can do. Like, she's like, I don't know what to do, but we're going to try. And so she like washes his insides and then tries to put them back in and sew them up. And, and uh, yeah, I don't think I could do that. I'm just not, I'm my husband could, so that that's who would do it. <laughs> as long as somebody can. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he wouldn't ever have that situation. So it's fine. But um... yeah, but like if something happens, I'm like, ah, oh, blood. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, it's just awful. And he's so just, he's just so upset. And he's, you know, and little Anne's injuries aren't that bad. She can make it, right? But she can't yeah. handle the passing of her friend. And so she, stops eating yeah I mean and his I think his dad says like she has no will to live exactly she um she really dies of a broken heart yeah it's awful but it's so I think one of his parents actually says to him you need to not forget old Dan but like kind of move on and be grateful you have little Anne and he says how can I forget old Dan he gave his life for me that's what he did. Just laid down his life for me. How can I ever forget something like that? That gets me every time because, you know, we're talking about God the whole time and what an incredible allusion to Jesus Christ and laying him, laying down his life. How can we forget that? And yet we do. Yeah. We so often do, but what a great reminder. He laid down his life. How can we forget that? Oh yeah. That's beautiful. And she, little Anne, doesn't she passes away? Like, on his like she's laying on his grave right yeah they go and that oh my gosh and that tears you up the last her with the last bit of her strength she pulls herself on top of dan's grave you know so sweet dogs just dogs are amazing animals right (laughs) they really are yeah they have like you said earlier they have such a personality they just they're amazing um etch themselves on your heart that's right (laughs) Um, I was thinking, I mean, even just, I know this is a dumb example, but like our cat, one of our cats, like whenever Presley, who's five years old is upset, our cat is like sitting outside the room, looking in, like she knows when she's upset and she comes to comfort her. It's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That is really sweet. So one of the questions that as Billy is battling with his immense sadness and suffering and and pain he asks his mom he says why did they have to die why must i hurt so what have i done wrong and isn't that just sort of the universal question for people when they're suffering you know like it's it's sort of the classic question why do bad things happen to good people so for this young boy to ask that question it's like that's the question on everybody's hearts when bad things happen, what have I done wrong? Why do I have to suffer? Why does it hurt so bad? And first of all, I remember who was it that said, where there's much love, there's going to be suffering because part of you is gone. When you love someone, you are giving them part of you. And then when it's gone, it's missing. But his mom says, you've done no wrong, Billy. She said, I know this seems terrible and I know how it hurts, but one time or another, everyone suffers. Even the Lord suffered while he was here on earth. And I love that answer. And I know that it's not like 
complete and thorough and every reason that people suffer, but it's also like everybody does, everybody does. And she also doesn't necessarily try to answer it. She just says, everybody suffers, even the Lord suffered. And we just try to learn from it and become better because of it. So, yeah, I like that. She didn't try to fix it. Like I said earlier, like, oh, I don't want to get another dog because then we have to like go through pushing them again. (laughs) Right. But we loved a dog. Yes. For 15 years or we hope he's 12. We're hoping. Right. So it's almost like, I don't want to get married and have children because I don't want to lose them or, Mm -hmm. you know, but then you missed out on years and years of joy and joy and and the love. Yeah. So much love because love changes you for the better. And you just have to remember that everybody goes through hard things. Life isn't, wasn't meant to be easy. Exactly. Just, and everyone sort of has their own breed of hard things and we just have to learn how to deal with it and learn how to move forward. And we become better because of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For me, this is one of the reasons that this book is such a classic. I feel like the author has tried to address a lot of things, but this is, this is a big one. You know, why do bad things happen? Why do hard things happen? Why, when you've put so much effort and time and love into something, is it taken away? And the other thing about classic books is that it doesn't necessarily answer the question. It just addresses it. And so it keeps you thinking about it afterwards. And I think that this book does that in a beautiful way. A classic gives you something to think about. Yeah. Um, I also just love that it takes you to a place that for us, it takes us to a place we haven't experienced like a time and a, you know, and it really puts you in that. I mean, after you've read this, you feel like, like you said, like you're in the Ozarks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I we feel like I, seen go them, <laughs> I know, I know exactly. And I think that he does that so masterfully and that it leads us right into the last chapter because they leave the Ozarks and that just kind of tears your heart out because he says the next spring we left and Billy, it seems, it seems apparent that he hasn't been back up to see the graves of his dogs for a while. He probably just can't stand it. But as they're leaving, he's like, I've got to go say goodbye to my dogs. So he goes up there and he sees that there's this beautiful red fern growing and that is miraculous by itself. And, and what I read too about the Cherokee idea of land burial grounds are sacred, but he knows of an old Indian legend. This is what he says. I heard the old Indian legend about the red fern, how a little Indian boy and girl were lost in a blizzard and had frozen to death in the spring. When they were found a beautiful red fern had grown up between their bodies. The story went on to say that only an angel could plant the seeds of a red fern and that they never died where one grew. That spot was sacred. Yeah. Probably meant a lot to him to see that. Yeah. Yeah. They said only an angel could plant a red fern. So they never saw red ferns. Red ferns were just, they were a miracle. You, not something that you ever saw. And so, and for him, that spot was obviously very sacred. Yeah. And like, I love that he left and he can just have that memory of like that fern growing. And and he knew those dogs were so special. And that was just like proof. Exactly. Him. Yeah. It almost like a validation, like, yeah, they were extra special. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, in the book too, he says he never went back. Yeah. Which in yeah. real life he does, but yeah. Um, 
But that's the part, let's see, when it jumps forward, he talks about how their wagon moves on, they leave. And then it jumps forward back to the present day, which is 1960. And he says he's never been back to the Ozarks. But then, gosh, again, he's so good at making us feel his nostalgia because he's like, I'd like to take a walk far back in the Flinty Hills and search for a souvenir, an axe buried in a tree. And the, the handle has probably worn away, but it's probably still there. And maybe there's an old rusty lantern hanging on it. And he says, I'd like to see the old home place, the barn and the rail fences. I'd like to pause into the beautiful red oaks where my sisters and I played. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> this is, you know, I want to go back too. And I've never been there. And then he closes by saying, I'm sure the red fern has grown and has completely covered the two little mounds I know it is still there, hiding its secret beneath those long red leaves, but it wouldn't be hidden from me for part of my life is hidden there too. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about. When you love someone or something, you give them part of yourself. And so part of him is there. So, yeah, he would like, I think that too, like I'll, if I was to go back, I would know exactly where they are. Like, yeah, these are, yeah. yeah. Does he say if he ever had I don't think he ever had dogs after that. Well, because they left. He, I, I just wonder if that was the only time he ever owned dogs. He doesn't. I don't know. Obviously, he doesn't in 1960. Yeah, but. that's true. I don't know how you could. Yeah. I don't know. I think that would be really, really hard after to have more dogs. So, so. well, I will, this book, I and I feel like the more I read it, the more I love it. Yes. Yeah. It's just so it's a special, it's just such a good book. So some, a couple of interesting things like about the author, one is you can, there's a, like a five part series about him on YouTube that mm-hmm. um, Jim Trelease did. Like he wrote, Jim Trelease wrote a book for children's yes. literature, right? Yeah. And it's fantastic. If you love this book, go look that up on YouTube. Um, what happened is he would, he would, um, travel and speak to the schools after he published his book and his wife recorded them. So after he died, Jim Trelease came and, and they were like looking through these recordings and there was something wrong with all of them. Like it was mm. too much, you know, background noise or it wasn't mm. clear. And then he got the last recording that he checked was perfect. And oh, so wow. this, did you get to watch that series? No, I'm going to have to go find it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And so it's him talking. It's his voice talking yes. about how he, it, trying to inspire children to write and, and to live their dreams. And then it's just, it's really cool. He tells about his life and what made him write. He didn't have very much education yeah. and he was, he would write on like grocery sacks and he didn't understand grammar. And so he would, whenever his voice would pause, he just write a dash. And then he just keep writing. I know it's like, it's amazing. And so, and he didn't get married until he was like 45. And right before he got married, he thought I need to grow up and get rid of this idea that I could be an author. And so he burnt all of his stories that he'd written. (laughs) And we were so close to not having this book, but then it was his wife that encouraged him. Right. Yeah. She was like, no, you really need to. Yeah. When she found out he'd done that, she's like, ah, so he like sent her away and he wrote 
it in like three weeks or something. And then she came back and she said, this is the best book I've ever read about dogs, but it's not long enough. (laughs) Oh, so he lengthened it after that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. She's like, it's too long for a short story, but it's not long enough for a novel. So you need to add to it. And then she was his editor. She fixed all his punctuation and spelling. And in the documentary, you can see they show samples of his writing and it's like crossed out. Messy. Yeah. 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 That's so neat. Well, obviously part of the, the truth in the story is that he didn't have a lot of education did grow up in the Ozarks and Wilson Rawls was part Cherokee and his full name is Woodrow Wilson Rawls, right? That's what we learned. Yeah. He went by Woody. Oh, okay. Cool. That's funny. Um, he was born in 1913 in Oklahoma. I thought that was okay. Um, and, and his mother's name was, uh, Winnie Hatfield Rawls and Hatfield is a name in the book. Right. Well, and it does make you kind of just being from that location, it does make you wonder if she's related somewhere with like the Hatfields and McCoys, the the big feud. Something that I thought was interesting is that Where the Red Fern Grows, it was published in 1961, but it really didn't take off for several years. So there probably was a minute where he was like, well, maybe I shouldn't have written it. But then he was invited to speak at a children's conference in Utah. It was there that he sold tons of copies and it just took off from there. So I thought that was, that is interesting. Yeah. And it was first published in the Saturday evening post, like in installments. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like they did like in the 19th century, they would publish stories that way. I, I, I think he said like his wife had him send it to the ladies home journal or something Mm. to get published. And I can't remember what he said about that, but it was really funny. Another interesting thing about him is that he served three terms in prison. <laughs> that is so sorry. It's not funny, but it is kind of funny. And it, but at the same time, it makes you realize like maybe his writing the book was sort of a redemption in a way and showing his turning to God and being like, look, you can come back from these kinds of things and be better. But I don't know what the other two were for, but it seems like the first one, he served 18 months in prison for stealing somebody's chickens. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yes. (laughs) So you shouldn't steal people's chickens, but it's not like the worst of the worst. Not like, yeah. (laughs) Right. And they don't have a record of what he, why he served the other terms, but. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, so there's only a record of the chickens. I also find it interesting that this isn't something that's known not yeah that's not well known and he never talked about it yeah he kind of wanted to keep it buried probably yeah but it just shows you like that I don't know that he never stopped trying that he always had this dream that he wanted to write it was published in 1961 right and he died in 1984 so that hadn't been out I mean I guess 20 years yeah and he saw the movie he was alive for the movie the first movie that was produced and he was did you've seen the movie yes but I want to watch it again (laughs) you should because he's actually the voice of the narrator and in fact because I was listening I was listening to one of his speeches just a part of it and I was like I totally recognize that voice and then I found out later that he did he was the narrator in the 19 what was it 1970 1974 1974 version of the movie. I love that movie 
so much. I always have. And I've heard that they're, they've made other versions. Have you seen, I didn't even realize that they made other versions until I was studying this. Funny story. Dave Matthews from the Dave Matthews band was in yeah. one of them. Yeah. Okay. I think it was in 2000 something. Okay. I, I wanted to watch them before we did this, but I mm. ran out of time. I was too busy reading. Well, I know. I know. And I may bring myself to watch the newer ones, but I love the older ones so much. It's wonderful. So we'll see. The jury's <laughs> so, out. I know. I was like, maybe I should make my kids watch it. Yeah. They're never going to watch it. <laughs> well, shoot. <laughs> maybe, maybe trick them into it. Or maybe. I don't know. I can try. Probably not. <laughs> we always try to get them to watch stuff and they're like, not having it. So we wanted to talk really quick about other book. He only wrote two books, this one, and then The Summer of Monkeys. I I read that one several years ago. I loved it. I love The Summer of the Monkeys. It's similar. It's so fun. It is. It's kind of similar. There's like the grandpa who is the, the boy's biggest cheerleader. And of course, there's a, a dog. But what I love about it is that Wilson Rawls had a dog. He only had a single dog. He didn't have two. It was a blue tick hound named Rowdy. And in the summer, the monkeys, the dog's name is Rowdy. So I kind of yeah. love that. Super fun. But yeah, for he wrote two books and they're both, they like struck gold with both of them. Yeah, so. they're great. Although the summer of monkeys, I'd never heard of it until I was thinking some other, have you read My Side of the Mountain? Yes. This yeah. I thought of that book. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And it's it's a boy, it's a little more modern, but it's a boy who goes out and lives in the mountains by himself just yeah. because pretty much kind of to like see if he can, I think, and to try to learn to be more competent. So yeah, that's my um, side of the mountain by Jean Craighead George. Yes. Yeah. Is there one you thought of? One that, you know, we talked about maybe one that was set in the Ozarks. And one that came to mind, I read it several years ago. It's Little Farm in the Ozarks. Had you heard of that one? I've heard of it. So of course, there's all the Little House on the Prairie books by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And then there is Little Farm in the Ozarks, not written by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And off the top of my head, I can't remember the author. I'll have to look it up. But it's about Laura and Almanzo and their daughter, Rose, and they live in the Ozarks. And those are fun books too. And I, there, there's a series of like three, but that there's the one in particular that when they lived there in the Ozarks, it's, um, it's about that period of time. So it's about them, but it's not written by her. Huh? Right. Right. It's a different author. So are they, you, are they you know, for younger kids than like, um, yeah. I would say like, it's, it's about the same level as like the little house books. Okay. So like have it on my hold it up but of course it doesn't say like right away who it's by um Rod, roger lee mcbride so it's yeah totally... there it is mcbride the other one i mean one that's obvious is old yeller and i mean because of dogs but the other one that i wanted to talk about that it made me think of just when we're talking about a young boy and being on his own and just being very um competent um and it made me think of the sign of the beaver have you read that one uh-uh. So this one is by Elizabeth George Spear, and I love all of her her books. You, you're probably familiar with The Witch of Blackbird Pond. Mm-hmm. 
So she, she wrote that one, but she also wrote The Sign of the Beaver. And this one takes place, I want to say, in the 18th century. And it's this young boy who um, he and his father go ahead of their family to, like, build a cabin in the, in the wilderness. And then his father leaves him to go back and get his family. So he's just by himself in this cabin in the wilderness. And so it's it's him learning to survive and thrive and he becomes friends with a Native American tribe that's there as well. And so it's a good book. That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, every time you're going to like blow me away with other books. But yeah, when I pulled up on Audible, that's how I listened to it. Old Yeller came up immediately. Mm-hmm. And I've never read that. Have you read that one? Yes. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty okay. short. Like it's a pretty short read. I've so. seen the movie. Yeah. But yeah. So. So it's, it's another tearjerker, but not as much as for the Red Franklin. Yes. Oh, I've told you this story, but I'm going to tell it again for everybody else. But I was laying in bed with my son, who's now going to be 22 in November, but he was five years old and he loved to be read to. And so I'm reading him this story. We're laying in bed at night and I'm just sobbing. And he looks at me and he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, are we reading the same book? <laughs> like, are you here too? No, it's just, Oh my gosh. Such I a tearjerker. And like, I remember my mom reading it to us and she's just sobbing and you know, a book. I don't cry very often when I'm reading. It has to be like, I don't know. What is it that makes you cry? I think for me, it's animals, but <laughs> <laughs> just when it some sort of a connection, I think when you can really empathize so deeply that you feel like it's affecting you yeah oh so good and his writing just like there were so many quotes in there that we could read that are just yeah his words are just beautiful I another interesting thing is I've read before that people that struggle with reading and writing are often really good authors and they think it might be because they were read to for longer in their Mm -hmm. life yeah once you turn a child loose on their own then the the quality of literature they're reading goes way down. But yeah. if a child that's struggling with um, reading on their own, their mom continues to read to them, then they get like this exposure to better literature for longer. And sometimes mm, that, that makes like, so much sense. Yeah, ex- help their their skills in that way. You know, he could yeah. tell a story. He has struggled well, he to write really it down. Could yeah. yeah. But, and the thing is, his style is very different from so many. It's not flowery or fancy language at all, but it's just so genuine. You know, he still paints beautiful pictures. It's like, you feel like you're right there. He pulls you in and keeps you there, but it's also just very simple at the same time. Yeah. I think that's, that's true. I loved reading it. I loved it. Yeah. Awesome. What are you reading now? I'll go because it's easy because I don't have lots of time. So right (laughs) now I'm reading our next book, but I'm also that we're going to be talking about, but to my kids, we're reading Beowulf. So it's not the original version of Beowulf. I don't think any of us would be able to understand that very well, but it's a version that was written by uh, Michael Morpurgo who also wrote War Horse. I've read that. Okay. Anyway, he's a really good author. So we're reading Beowulf and it's really good. I enjoy it. It's not one that I had 
I, I knew the story, but I never actually like read a book about it, but it's very well done. Interesting. Um, okay. I remember now I have to look at my list because I just finished a book. So that's why I was like, um, it was excellent. I read finding me by Viola Davis. Oh, it was excellent. Like it made me want to, I cried in that book and I don't cry in books very often. So, um, (laughs) you keep saying that, but you keep telling me about all the times you've cried. So (laughs) I know death. That's what makes me cry. (laughs) I guess so. Um, but it was, it was excellent. It's just about her. I made me want to go watch all of her movies. Mm, so, really? and like, there's a preview out right now with her in a movie. I can't remember what it's called, but like, she's like a warrior. And yeah, every time it, I see it, I think I don't want to see that because okay. I don't like violent. I mean, yeah, violence gets to me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I'm like, oh, maybe I should go see that. Although I don't know. I don't know what it's rated, but, um, yeah, it made me like look up her list and go, oh, I want to go look, watch that movie. It's just mm-hmm. about her. I love stories about people who've come from nothing yeah, and make something of themselves. And she talks about her childhood and how, how poor they were. Yeah. And like her dad was abusive and, mm-hmm. and he changed. And later in life, he really stopped being abusive. And I, that's to me, fascinating. That, yeah, that's amazing. very violent with her mom. And yeah, just like how. I love reading about strong women that are just like, yeah. this isn't good enough for me. I'm going to make something of myself. Very inspiring. So yeah, sure. it was excellent. I would highly recommend. Cool. That. Okay. And, so, and, and that was called becoming me, finding me, finding me by okay, Viola Davis. Davis. It just, I think okay. it just came out like it's brand new. Okay, cool. We're so happy you joined us for this episode. We hope you will join us next week. If you have suggestions for books we should read and discuss, please email us at thebestbookspodcast at gmail.com. We would love it if you would leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. We want to inspire and encourage as many people as we can to read out of the best books. As Thoreau says, read the best books first or you may not have a chance to read them at all. See you next week.